Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Cricket Expert. I'm your host, Sana Bhattacharya. Again, just another quick shout out to our healthcare workers who are giving it their all during this lockdown. You guys are our true heroes. Keep on doing what you guys have been doing and we will get through this lockdown soon in New South Wales. Now, before I get started on um, the two main things that I want to focus on this episode, let's uh, start off with the India-England series. So, obviously, India versus England, that ended in a draw. Just a quick summary on that. Uh, England won the toss. They batted first. They had no spinner. They went with four spinners. Uh, sorry, not four spinners, four seamers. In our Sam current Ollie Robinson and their main two bowlers, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. Batted first, got bought off 183. Then India with um, K.O. Rahul and Rohit Sharma got them off to a good start. But then they lost a few wickets. In the end, they got to 278 all out. With a lead of 95, England got uh, got past that quite quickly. Thanks to a quality century from Joe Root. Arguably one of the best centuries I've seen from him in or of all time. Or if not in the past few years. Um, they got to 303 all out. Uh, Jasprit Bumrah was outstanding with the ball in both innings. And then India were 1 for 52 one for fifty-two at stumps on day 4. But then it just started raining on day 5 and ultimately it became a draw. So obviously the first test ultimately ended in a draw with neither side getting the full 12 points for the World Test Championship. I think it's 4 points each or 6 points. I'm not quite sure on that. But yeah, the second test starts in a few hours' time. Charlotte Takora has been ruled out for this test match. So I think Ravi Ashwin walks back in. With the, um, the, I think the weather is quite dry in London. And uh, it's going to be quite hot as well. So it'll be a quite a dry surface where it will spin. So Jadeja and Ashwin as, as your two spinners for India. Um, Maui Nali and Sakib Mahmood have been added to the English squad. For the second test, Joe Broad has been ruled out for the rest of the series. So I think Craig Overton will come in for him. Or and Jimmy Anderson has been ruled out, uh, maybe ruled out of uh, the second test. So maybe Mark Wood comes in, or Maui Nali comes in um, as a spinner, which I will be quite surprised. With. I think they they might play two spinners and drop some on the top six. I think Zach Crawley has to be dropped. They drop Crawley and play um, Haseeb Hamid in the English top three. So yeah, I think India start as slight favourites if it is a dry surface. Um, they'll play this two spinners and I, I, th- I think that will probably um, go in India's favour. Maybe even Aksar Patel might play if it's really dry. They might just go three spinners and go gung-ho and just hope for the best. Maybe it's Patel and Ashuna are your first two spinners and then Jadeja is the third spinner. It'll be quite interesting what happens. I still, like I said, India will probably start favourites and um, I expect them to win this test match at Lords. Now on to the... Australia versus Bangladesh T20 series. Oh boy, I have so much to say on this. So, Bangladesh won the five match T20 series 4 1. Let's go through a quick recap. First T20, Bangladesh scored 131. I think for the loss of five or six wickets, I can't quite remember, but they scored 131 in the 20 overs. And then after that, Australia, they looked completely out of touch from ball one, part of 108. Boom, Bangladesh up for 1 0 in the series. A day later, second T20. Australia 2 for 88 after 14. They collapse and end up at 5 or 6, uh, 7 for 121, I think it was. 
Bangladesh were 5 for 70, but um, a partnership from Afif Hussain and Nurul Hassan took Bangladesh through. They won by 5 wickets with, I think, 8 balls remaining. After that, the 30-20 came two days later. Bangladesh limped their way to 127. Australia, they only lost four wickets in that run chase. But they only got to 117. They were rubbish. Australia needed 60 of 48 at one stage with nine wickets in hand. And they found a way to lose by 10 runs. So that was 30-20 done. A day later from the 30-20 came the fourth game. And uh, Bangladesh really struggled in that one. Australia's bowlers were outstanding. Bangladesh only got to 104. And despite Dan Christian smacking Shakib Alassan for 30 runs in one over, it took Australia 19 overs to get to 105. If Dan Christian doesn't smack 30 off that over, Australia may have potentially lost that game as well. They won by three wickets with an over to spare. And then came the final T20. Bangladesh only got to 122 despite being no wicket for 33 after after three overs. So they got to a very fast start, but Australia pulled that back. Australia with the bat, though. Oh, my God. They were so bad with the bat. They were bought out for 62. 62 all out. And mind you, this is their lowest ever T20 total. Three of their lowest ever T20 totals, where they've either been bowled out or batted the whole 20 overs, have been from that series. That's how bad things were for Bangladesh, uh, for Australia this series. They lost a series 4-1 in the end. And um, so they obviously their lowest total was 79 before this series. And now they've been bowled up for 62. Now first I want to get onto the Bangladesh side. I think this series was a massive series win for them. You know, you look at things such as, how do I start off? I start off with the fact that Bangladesh has only played two bilateral series against Australia since 2008. One was a test series, which was outstanding in 2017. It was a brilliant test series. And another one was in 2011. It was a three-match ODI series. Australia won that 3-0. Bangladesh were rubbish then, so no one cares. Um, but like, I, I think that series was quite irrelevant, to be honest. It was an after-World Cup thing, and it was more like Australia just wanted to fulfill the duties rather than take it seriously. Um, but yeah, I think for Bangladesh, this series was outstanding. With the ball-wise, I think... Shakib, the Fizz, Shoriful Islam, Mahedi Hassan, Nasum Ahmed, they were all brilliant. Um, you look at someone like Shoriful, I was really impressed with because obviously he's made a lot of strides this year. He's been outstanding for Bangladesh this year and I think he's got a lot to offer for the future. You can see why I, I still would want Alamin in my side. My top three seamers leading up to the T20 walk would be Saifuddin. Um, Alamin Hussain and Mustafizul Rahman. Shori Fuller is my fourth seamer and Tuskin Ahmed is my fifth seamer. So it'll be my five seamers that I take to the T20 World Cup. Spinners wise, Nasum Ahmed has been brilliant. Mahedi, um, Shakib. So I don't think they'll take more than Mahedi and Nasum. Maybe Aminul Islam might go to UAE uh, just as a leg spinning option. Maybe even Chubay Hussain, which I think is a lot more unlikely. Batting wise, Apart from Shumwa, everyone else at least got a got more than twenty at least one game. Shumwa really struggled, unsurprisingly, you know, with the whole um, slow wickets in Dhaka, which I wasn't surprised with. I did say in my uh, preview in the um, last episode that he would struggle if the wickets were slow. So obviously, Bangladesh has got a series coming up with New Zealand, where they'll have they'll at least add Mushfiq or um, they'll add Tamim. 
Oh, sorry, not Tamim. They'll let Luton and Mushriko to that squad because Tamim Miguel is still injured. But um, yeah, so I think had Luton and Mushriko played in that series, played in this series, because neither of them were injured. One had to leave for personal reasons, and the other one couldn't enter the buy bubble in time. Um, I thought. Had those two played, I think Bangladesh would have been scored more than 140, 145 in the series because those two blokes play spin a lot better than Naim and Shumul do. And I know how to rotate the strike on these really piss poor wickets, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, that was outstanding for Bangladesh. And if I look at the Australian side of things, boy, there's a lot to uncover. Leading up to this T20 series, the reason why I had Bangladesh as favourites despite missing out a few of the key plays was the fact that Australia can't play spin to save their lives. And this series proved it to me that they cannot. But it's also, it's a very mental thing. Because if you start off with, um, well they went to the West Indies tour. And they played the first T20 against West Indies. They were chasing 146 or 47. They needed 40 runs I think in the last 10 overs. They ended up with six wickets in hand, and they lost by 18 runs. And from there on, it's just been, how the heck do we win a game of T20 cricket? In the last 10 T20 internationals, Bangladesh, Australia have lost eight out of ten of those games. Four are against a side that is not one that is not directly qualified for the T20 World Cup. So I do not like what you can't say much about that. Yes, they're missing a few of the key players, but. Jeez, that there's no real answer to that. There is, there's no real excuse for that. Australia were terrible with the bat, and the f and they have no bench strength. They really don't, especially in T20 cricket. There is hardly any bench strength if you are taking, you know, some really average cricketers who are going off on BBO reputation rather than a T20 globe trotting. Uh, reputation of players who have done well in all T20 leagues and not just the Big Bash. You know, these conditions were completely alien for them, but boy, that was that was something else. But it's not just about these two series, it's, it's just about the fact, in the last 12 months Australia have played 5 T20 series they have lost all 5 of them. They lost one against England. Okay, fair enough. You can you can get away with that one because England were at full strength. They had Archer and Co. They had an outstanding bowling attack. But even then, Australia collapsed in one game when they needed from 40 or 39, and they still lost. And if you go to the second series against India, that Indian side, they didn't have Bumrah. They didn't have Bhuvneshwar Kumar. Despite all that, um, were they missing anyone else in my mind? Natarajan was a newcomer. He was playing his debut series. Um, but yeah, um, they didn't have Ro India didn't have Rohit Sharma. Um, so those three plays weren't there. Despite all that, they failed to chase 160 on quite a good batting wicket because, well, they just failed to spin Chahal. Um, second T20, they failed to chase down... Sorry, they failed to defend also like 190 odd. Um, and the third T20, they just won a dead rubber. So they lost against India 2-1. Then they went to New Zealand. Still a quite a strong squad for New Zealand conditions. But they just collapsed in the first two, four back in the third and fourth. But then they they completely screwed up in the last one. Um, so they lost that series. They lost against West Indies and now against Bangladesh. When the heck is Justin Langer going to be held accountable for all of this? He has lost five T20 series in a row. Yes, cricket might not have as much of a 
big effect on coaching compared to let's say football and their coaches but there's still a massive thing and i do think langer is under pressure for me personally i would take um greg shippard as australia's t20 coach he understands t20 cricket no other in no other way that any other coach has you look at his records so uh for those that don't know who greg shippard is greg shippard has been involved in australian domestic cricketing ranks as a coach since the 90s so he's been around for a very long time he first started for tasmania he convinced shane watson to leave queensland and join tasmania as a teenager who knows whether watson would have been that type of cricketer had shippard not um you know told and tried to convince Watson to come down to Tasmania, play domestic cricket here. You'll be playing for Australia in a few years' time, and that's basically what happened. Um, after he moved to Tasmania, he became coach of Victoria after a few years of being assistant coach. As Victorian coach, he's enjoyed most of his success there uh, from the mid-2000s till I think it was 2015. So as Victoria coach, he won 40 20 titles, four Sheffield Shield titles, and one uh, one-day cup. Um, you know, he's, he understands T20 cricket like no other... He's won 60 20 titles altogether. He's uh, currently the coach of the Sydney Sixers, where he, uh, they've won their last two big bash competitions. If you look at uh, some of in he was he's also coaching the um, IPL, where he was uh, coaching Delhi Daredevils, obviously now known as Delhi Capitals. So Delhi Daredevils, he coached the first four seasons, 2008 all the way to 2011, had some good success, but I think. That he just had some, sh- they just had some shock loss. It wasn't even poor performance by Delhi in twenty eight, two thousand eight, or to um two thousand and nine. It was more just Gilchrist and Shane Warne just having the games of their lives, and just completely single handedly destroying the opposition. There wasn't much that you know you could do. With Shippard, he understands the fickleness of T20 cricket. You know, he's he went through a six-game losing streak in BBL 07, where despite Sixers coming close to winning four of those six games, they just lost their first six games. They came back winning four games. Had they won a few of more of those games that they had lost from in really tight situations, they may have won Big Bash 07. You know, um, you know, uh, he's gotten the best out of Josh Felipe, I think, on, especially on slow, because Felipe looks completely out of sorts. But I think under a coaching of Shippet or even a Ricky Ponting, I think one of those two has to be um, Australia's T20 coaches. Oh yeah, but my first choice would be Greg Shippet, just because it's time that he left domestic cricket and finally just got into inter- into international cricket coaching levels because he hundred percent deserves it. And now's the time, especially in a pandemic world, you're gonna look at things such as bubble fatigue and stuff like that. I do believe Langer is suffering from bubble. F- there is a little bit of bubble fatigue in it. And what Shippard would do in terms of in coaching the T20 side, that would just allow Langer to focus on Test cricket and ODI cricket, where he's had more success as an Australian coach. And I feel like Langer is more comfortable as a Test and ODI coach compared to T20 cricket, where his style is still too old school it's, uh, that it is to post coaches. Whereas if you look at Shippard's coaching records, the T20 sides, they've always been trying to keep up to date or keep ahead. Sorry, excuse me. Try and keep ahead of the opposition. Play a different brand of cricket in different seasons and stuff like that. Um, you know, as Perth Scorchers under Lang, it was always about bowling and, you know, winning games through a bowling attack. Whereas under Shippard's Victorians, Sydney Sixers, it was about keeping as much 
balance as much as possible where both your if your bowlers go for 180 we'll chase down 180 but um you know if our batsmen only get to 140 our bowls will defend it so it's about keeping a balance and i think that's what shepard has done well and i think he's got a great relationship you know um, from obviously the Victorian players with Finch, Maxwell, I think he'd bring the best out of them. Um, you know, he gets, I think he'd get the best out of Warner as a T20 cricketer again. He gave him his IPL debut back in Delhi in 2009. So, some great relationship with the Australian cricketers. He's got a great relationship with Langer as well. He was Langer's um, captain, I think, in grade cricket back in the 80s in Western Australia. So, yeah, I think everyone. Um, you know, loves Shepard and his coaching influence. I think right now he is doing a bit of mentoring up in Tasmania because obviously Jeff Fawn left and joined the Australian coaching ranks. But yeah, I think it's time Greg Shepard took some control of the Australian cricket team, at least in one format. So that's Bangladesh versus Australia done and dusted. Now this final part that I really wanted to just focus and rant on is New Zealand's T20 World Cup squad. Now I'm just getting this squad up, just bear on for a second, but I wanted to talk about a player who will not be playing in the T20 World Cup squad. He has not made the squad, and that is Colin Munro. And my reaction to that is WTF. Are they off their heads? So let's just first look at the squad, uh, that the 16-man squad that they've uh, named with one man as an injury cover. So, the squad is, as of now, Captain Kane Williamson, Todd Astle, Trent Bolt, Mark Chapman, Devin Conway, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, Kyle Jamieson, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Santner, Tim Seifert, Ish Shodi, uh Tim Southie, and Adam Milner's injury cover. So, that's a 16-man squad. Now, I understand... Most of the squad, they've got their bases covered. You know, they've got three spinners for the UAE in uh, Sodi, Santner, and Todd Astor. I think I'm a bit surprised with Todd Astor. I think there were some, uh, a few more options ahead of him, especially in someone like a Michael Rupon, who's obviously played a few uh, games for Netherlands, but now he's eligible to play for New Zealand. I think he could have been selected. But I wanted to talk about the omission of Colin Munro. I find it very disgusting that Monroe will not be playing in the T20 World Cup squad. It has not made the T20 World Cup squad and how New Zealand cricket have treated him. So let me get let me start off from 2019. So obviously after the 2019 uh, ODI World Cup, Monroe has not played a single ODI or something along the lines of that or he hasn't played much ODI cricket. Now in the 2019 to 20 summer for the Black Caps, Monroe played 10 to 20 games for New Zealand. In those 10 games, he scored 288 runs at an average of just under 29 with two half centuries. After that, for uh, and then obviously COVID hit. Well, I mean, sorry, um, COVID hit the majority of the world or all of the nations, and obviously the world was in lockdown and stuff like that. Um, and then come the cricket contracts time for New Zealand. Monroe was not offered a contract because they saw him as a one-format option. They didn't offer him a contract for the 2020 to 21 summer. And obviously his base, his majority source of income is gone. So with Monroe's majority source of income gone, he needs to make up for that by playing 
through franchise leagues, right? And he gets an offer from Big Bash Club, Perth Scorchers. They sign him up for the Big Bash. Now, what happens is that Mon- by signing for the Big Bash, Munro will n- does not play in the New Zealand domestic T20 competition, nor does he make himself available for uh, the home T20 series against uh, West Indies and Pakistan. He doesn't play in those two series because he wants to play in the Big Bash. And I think, in hindsight, it's some great preparation he's getting for the 2022 World Cup. T20 World Cup next year that will be happening in Australia he's getting used to the conditions and number two he's chasing the cash because he's not contracted so of course he's going to chase the money and it seems to me as if New Zealand cricket have gone how dare you choose another T20 competition when our own domestic T20 competition is going on he doesn't have a contract what are you expecting him to do play for peanuts I'm sorry but this is a guy that's in his mid-30s he has been one of the best T20, he is arguably one of the most influential T20 cricketers in New Zealand. I would say my top would be Kane Williamson, Brendan McCollum, and then Colin Munro. Colin Munro has been absolutely outstanding for New Zealand, both as a T20 international cricketer and in uh, domestic T20s. He has a great BBL season. He doesn't get chosen for um, their T20 series against Australia. Okay, fair enough. 14-day quarantine and everything. I get that. But then uh, a lot of the New Zealand boys who are going off to the IPL for IPL 2021 that was happening in India before it got postponed, those boys were allowed to skip uh, their T20 series against Bangladesh to play in the IPL. Fair enough, the T20 World Cup was meant to happen in India at that time. They wanted to get acclimatized to that, to those conditions and playing those conditions before the World Cup. Fair enough, go ahead. But then they ostracized Munro for doing literally the same thing. And there, which is quite hypocritical, and then obviously, um, Monroe played in the UAE leg of PSL 2021 this year, where he scored 285 runs at an average of 57 in seven games at a striker of just under 170. He's he is literally being New Zealand's the best T20 batsman in New Zealand in Asian conditions, either in the last in the past few years. It's either him or Kane. It's I think not even Kane Williamson has been as good as Munro. That's how good Munro has been in Asian conditions. Now leading up to the T20 World Cup, um, New Zealand are going on tours of Bangladesh and Pakistan. Now um, this is not my words, but uh, this is of a New Zealand journalist. Uh, apologies if I say the uh, name wrong. Michael Wagner. Uh, basically, he's a uh, journalist in New Zealand, and um, I've been following. I I usually follow a lot of what he says on New Zealand cricket, alongside following what I can do on New Zealand cricket. And basically, what he said on a um, he said this in a YouTube video on. Uh, let me try and find the video. I will try and uh, as I try and find the video. But basically, he said uh, along the lines of what he knew was that um, Gary Stead, the New Zealand coach, had contacted um, Munro a week before saying that uh, we'd like you to go to Bangladesh and Pakistan uh, and, you know, uh, take our boys, you know, lead uh, this young squad, squad around because we'd like some experience in the squad. 
However, despite how many runs you score, we're not going to take you to the T20 World Cup, regardless of how many runs you score. And because he's not contracted, he would not get. Um, they weren't going to pay him for the tours. Monroe may have basically just told him to f off, and he is one hundred percent well within his rights to do so. Okay, so I've just found the video. So on Gorov Ayan's YouTube channel, do check out uh, the video. New Zealand team announced for Teton World Cup twenty twenty one in India tour. That's where Michael talks about um, where he rants a lot about Monroe's exclusion. It, it is one hundred percent. Uh, surprising about it if what Michael reported is true that is 100% one of the most disrespectful things that uh, Gary Stead could do as a New Zealand coach Gary what are you doing mate you have 100% shot yourself in the foot here a player in his 30s you do not keep him contracted to your nation fair enough okay you don't want to contract him fair enough don't punish him for chasing the cash after that I'm sorry but what is Gary Stead you, you that makes zero sense to me. You cannot keep a player out of contract and then basically punish him for not being available. You basically made him not being available by not giving him a contract. It just makes, like I said, it just makes zero sense to me. Like, it's a cricket is a professional sport. Players need to maximize their earnings and profits as much as they can before they retire. There's only so much that a player can do. You know, this isn't the 70s and 80s when cricket was a semi-professional sport and stuff like that. Munro is 100% well within his rights of what he has done. And, you know, for Stead to have reportedly told Munro, no matter how many runs you score in Bangladesh and Pakistan, we're not taking you to the World Cup. That's a basic slap in the face. You know, Munro, Munro wrote kind of a cryptic message on his Instagram story saying things like, uh, um, you know, I may have played my last game for the Black Caps and not by choice. And honestly, I don't. I, it doesn't seem like there's a row between Williamson and Munro. Because it just doesn't seem like it. Um, apparently, Michael said also on that YouTube video, he contacted Brendan McCollum and Brendan McCollum said, we dropped Munro first because of his attitude problems. But then after that, he 100% changed on that. And they, this was all the way back in 2013. So, um, you know, apparently Munro changed a lot after that. He was really working hard and everything. So it seems like there's no ego problems between Munro and Williamson. It seems like it's more on Stead and Munro, which is why I'm having a big go at Gary Stead because Gary Stead, he's saying he's giving you a big politician's answer where he's saying, "Oh, you know, our players are um, we've built some depth, and I'm excited by that." Blah blah blah. Shut up, please shut up. There is no way you are telling me that in this squad that Mark Chapman, Glenn Seifert, and Glenn uh, Team Seifert, sorry, and Glenn Phillips are all better than Colin Munro. Munro has a brilliant has has apart from the IPL, if you're looking at T20 domestic records, he's been brilliant for Auckland in the New Zealand domestic big bash, uh, in that domestic T20 t tournament. I think it's called the Super Smash. He he did well for the Perth Scorchers in the big bash. He's done well for Islamabad in the Pakistan Super League. He's done well in England, both in the hundred and in the um NatWest T20 Blast, and in the Caribbean Premier League for Trinbago Knight Riders. So in what way does he not go to UAE for the T20 World Cup? He has absolutely lost his mind here, Gary Stead. I'm like, I'm an Aussie. I don't know why I'm being so passionate about this. I've, I've grown up following a lot of New Zealand cricket, so I've been, you know, it's been great to see their progress and stuff like that. But, geez, Stead has 100% shot himself in the foot right here. Glenn Phillips, I, I would keep him in the squad because he does bow you a bit of off spin, especially to death standards quite well. 
um, Team Cypher, he's the guy that I would have dropped, or Mark Chapman. Those are one of the two guys that I think I would have dropped in honor uh, in place of uh, for Monroe, because Devin Conway can keep, Glenn Phillips can keep. Cypher is neither an outstanding batsman nor an outstanding keeper, so I found it very surprising that he made the squad. I know he's a bit of Brendan McCullum rates him and stuff, but I still feel like he needs a few seasons under his belt. Finn Allen, I think people were surprised by that, but um, you know. I just feel like people are hyping too much based on what he's done in New Zealand conditions. He hasn't been tested outside of New Zealand conditions. So I want him to, you know, this is what, this is where first-class cricket comes in and helps T20 cricketers, by the way. A good first-class player can be good in all three formats. A good T20 cricketer cannot be good in all three formats. Because what first-class cricket does teach you, it teaches you the sense of patience and understanding how to bat in different conditions and... Um, different gears t20 cricket Finn Allen has only batted in one gear his whole life i haven't seen him change at all while that is good he also needs to understand when to turn it down he hasn't done that at all and on pitches where he might hold up a bit in the uae he might struggle so i think it was understandable not to take him up till he has a woeful record in asia yet they keep on picking him on reputation stuff like that's fair enough why are you ostracizing Munro for doing the same thing so yeah, anyways, guys, that's my rant over on the whole Colin Monroe situation. Gary Stead has show, ha, uh, he's made quite a few unpopular decisions that I haven't liked, but um, yeah, that's that's all you know I can say. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, that's the end of this uh, episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please do give me a follow either if you're listening on Anchor or on Spotify. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please do share it around to your uh, mates if they're all into cricket. Um, Yeah, I hope the second test between India and England is an absolute thriller. Looking forward to Bangladesh versus New Zealand. And may there be more to come out out of the whole Munro and Gary State situation. Take care, everyone.